computer. Our next guest is a UCLA legend and a national champion who also won the first ever Wooden Award as the best college basketball player in the country. Uh, he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks, my Milwaukee Bucks, where he became a uh, five-time All-Star in the NBA, uh, All-NBA first team, and uh, All-NBA second team a couple times, comeback player of the year, and uh, had his uh, number eight jersey retired uh, currently in, in, in Pfizer form. He's now working alongside Jim, Jim Paschke on uh, Fox Sports Wisconsin, broadcasting the Bucks play-by-play. -play. Please welcome a legend, Marcus Johnson. Thank you. Thank you, MJ, for coming on with us. Oh, uh, yeah, man. You know, anything for the old uh, blue and gold. And uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, we'll talk about some of the accomplishments. Uh, you've accomplished, you know, many, many, you know, countless incredible accolades and achievements throughout your career, um, including the first ever Wooden Award uh, for College Player of the Year. Uh, you won a national championship at UCLA. Uh, you were named all NBA, all pro NBA first team, you know, during your time in the league. Uh, what would you say was your best? Can you pinpoint one moment that was your best all-time moment in your, you know, basketball or athletic career? <laughs> uh, man, that's a tough one. I mean, and not to sound trite, but, but you know, probably, and this is going to sound crazy, but when I was at Audubon Junior High School, they called it Audubon Middle School now, but James Harden went to school there and some really, really great athletes, but we had a lot of great athletes. They came through Audubon. And, and so we used to have this thing called the bird ball, bird bowl. And John, James Audubon was a big uh, bird guy, whatever, whatever. So anyway, so we have, so sorry. So it, it would pit like the, the lower half of the seventh grade against the upper half, lower half of the eighth against the upper half. We had the bird bowl basketball game and it was a packed gym. And uh, I was all of about maybe 12 or 13 years old, seventh grader. We're playing against the, uh, the, the, the upper half of the eighth grade. We had the B7s against the eight sevens. But anyway, I, I went out there, man, and, and just had the greatest game of my life. I did this up and under move before there was really an up and under move. and scored about the games. This was at lunchtime. So the games lasted about 35 minutes at lunchtime. But packed gym, and I wound up scoring about 35 points in about 30 minutes. and um, when I walked into my fifth period class after lunch, that was at lunchtime, the, 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 my students, my fellow students gave me a standing ovation. And this is like me at 13. And that's when I kind of realized just how appreciative people are of, you know, when you're in that zone and you can't miss it. So that, that, that was kind of the, the, uh, the, 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 the one memory that really lasted with me for a lifetime. But, you know, Crenshaw High School winning the city championship uh, in 1973, that was, uh, that was a that was a huge, huge, huge deal. Uh, winning John Wooden's last championship in '75, you know that was a huge deal. But it's funny, I go back to that Bird Bowl, man. Back uh, around 1968ish, '68 was a lot of stuff going on in this country. But uh, for me, in 1968, <laughs> in that little packed, small, funky gym at Audubon Junior High School in South Central Los Angeles, that's when I kind of first came into my own as a basketball player. That was not the answer that I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's, that's what I threw it out there. I do. I think, well, what you said, that's, that's, you know, if people want to say, well, when I scored against Dr. J or with Larry Bird, we swept the Celtics. I mean, and that's all. And trust me, those are all things that, that you know, in, in, in my mind, when I think about them, were, were special moments. But just that, just that standing ovation, walking into that fifth period English class, you know, and the 
still sweaty, you know, just had gotten dressed and a little bit late thinking I'm going to get yelled at by the teacher, a little nervous. And I walk in and so unexpected. And all my, all my classmates just stood up, just stood up and just looked at me like their mouths open, like, wow, we didn't know you were that good. You know, it's just like, so that, I mean, that was just an incredible moment for me. That's amazing. I love that. Um, so you brought up the national championship that you won um, at, with UCLA, John Wooden's last. I just kind of want to know sort of more about that. Like, how did you feel in that moment when you realized, you know, John Wooden was leaving or retiring? And how did, how did that, like, what were the emotions going through you? Right well, there? okay, well, pull up a chair and, uh, you know, to get some popcorn. It, it's a long story, <laughs> but so my freshman year, we lost to North Carolina State. That was Bill Walton's senior year. And so that, 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 that team was the team that we all thought was just a guaranteed national championship, 1973-74. They, they had won uh, 60 games in a row. They hadn't lost in two years. Our freshmen weren't eligible. So but when they were sophomores and juniors, Jamal uh, Wilkes, Bill Walton, and Greg Lee, and Tommy Curtis, and Dave Meyer, just a great, great group of players but anyway so coming in as a freshman I thought that that would be the year and talk about special moments I started uh in Notre I guess Notre Dame as a 17 year old freshman that that season uh coach Wooden put me in after we had lost and they broke our 88 game win streak back at South Bend the, the rematch game was the following weekend so I started so anyway so but we wound up losing to David Thompson in North Carolina State my freshman year I worked out like crazy over the summer uh, going into my sophomore year Wayne Embry saw me, who was uh, the first African-American executive in a major sports, uh, for a major sports team, but he was our general manager with the Milwaukee Bucks. He saw me play at UCLA against some great pros, Sidney Wicks and Curtis Rowe, and all these great NBA guys who were in town. And Wayne, Wayne Embry said, this is me. You know, he's talking about me as a, as a, as a, as a what, 18, 19 year, 18 year old, 18 year old sophomore to be. He said that uh, I was the best forward in America, college or pro. That's how good I was playing. Anyway, segue. Uh, after the summer uh, we were uh, about to start practice in the fall of uh, 1974 I get sick with hepatitis I'm visiting my sister and brother-in-law up in Santa Barbara both of them attended UCSB they were still living up there we go to a smorgasbord that I won't name and I get sick as a dog and and, and, but anyway come down with hepatitis so I lose 20 pounds in about five six days I'm, I'm Stuff is coming out of everywhere. I'm hospitalized for like two weeks. And uh, Coach Witten, I mean, people are just really concerned. I mean, it was, it was you know, just the looks on their faces. I must have looked like a skeleton. But anyway, so, 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 that, so that's, that's how that season started, my sophomore year. And so as a result, Coach Witten had to uh, ration out my time that year. The doctor said you can, you can start him off by playing 10 minutes, then 15 minutes. So anyway, so it was a struggle. So my point is, is that uh, that was the team with myself and Dave Myers and Richard Washington, uh, Andre McCarter, Pete Turgovich. That was the team that Coach Wooden likes to say that was one of his most enjoyable to coach. We didn't have the big ego, egos, didn't have the big attitude. The fact that we won it that year, the way that we won it, we beat, uh, we just we played uh, Michael Ray Richardson, this great NBA player who was at Montana, uh, and he wasn't the one that hurt us. He had a teammate by the name of Eric Hayes, a 6'3 white kid, couldn't jump, couldn't do anything, but he lit us up for like 34, and we beat them by about three or four points. We played against Michigan. They had a, a guy by the name of C.J. Kupek who played with the Lakers, uh, about 6'8", great shooter. Great game. It came by the shootout. Score was in the 90s at the end of regulation. C.J. Kupek had 28 points that game, had a chance to win the game with a wide-open 15-foot jump shot at the buzzer. 
and short-armed it and missed it. We beat them, beat them in overtime, like 105 to 101 or some, some crazy score like that. So now we go on to the final four to play Louisville. And Louisville was coached by Denny Crum, a former Wooden assistant. So they're running the high post offense. So Junior Bridgman does a cut off the high post center at the free throw line, gets a lob, lays it up. You couldn't dunk back in those days. I, I run a cut off the high post. It was the exact same place. It was a mirror image of ourselves, like playing against ourselves. And this game was nip and tuck all the way. And so what happens is that um, we were down uh, three or four or five points. I come up with a, with a great steal and a putback and a deflection to give us the ball back. We're down, uh, we're down one point, I think, at that point. And, uh, but before that, what happened was that um, they had a player on their team by the name of Terry Howard. I told you to pull up, get some popcorn and relax. It's a long story. But, the, but Louisville had a guy by the name of Terry Howard who was 28 for 28 from the free throw line that season. Hadn't missed all year. Denny Crump put him in. They were up by one. We had to foul. And so we fouled Terry Howard, and he missed the front end of a one-and-one. And so we were able to get the ball back down one And uh, after this furious comeback. And uh, Richard Washington, I passed the ball into him at the post. He hit a turnaround jumper and won the game for us. So that got us into the finals against Kentucky. And um, Kentucky was coached by Joe B. Hall. We beat them. Uh, Kevin Gravy, uh, who's a teammate of mine with the Bucks, had about 33 or 34 points in that game. But we wound up beating them by five or six points. Uh, played six guys, five, four guys played 40 minutes. <clears throat> I played 28 minutes. And uh, Ralph Drollinger, our backup center, played the, the greatest 12 minutes of his life. And uh, so, uh, but to, to, to back up just a bit, after we beat Louisville and Denny Crum in the semifinals, Coach Wooden came into the locker room. We were all pumped up and yelling and screaming. Had no idea he was going to shut it down. And Coach told us to uh, quiet down, quiet down. He had something to tell us. And he said, look, guys, this has been one of the greatest teams, most special teams I've ever coached. You guys have been nothing but pure joy all season long. Um, a lot of things have gone into my decision, but I'm, I'm after this next game against Kentucky, I'm going to retire. And so Andre McCarter, our, our point guard from uh, Overbrook High School in Philadelphia, same school that produced Will Chamberlain and some other great players, Andre kind of gathered us all together and uh, said, like, look, man, there's no way in the world we're going to let Coach go out and not be in a national championship. No way this going to happen. And so we went out and beat Kentucky that next game. And so to answer your question, Anna, I mean, it was just a tremendous feeling to um, send Coach Wooden out uh, like he was supposed to go out with that 10th national championship in 12 years. Wow. You So you guys didn't know until the game, the semi, after the semifinal that he was. We didn't, we, we didn't, we didn't know until he came into the locker room after we had beaten Louisville in, a, in, a, in, a, in overtime. And, and he, wow. just an emotionally wrenching game. We were all just, and he came in and uh, let us know. And and to, to put a an, an addendum to that, after we beat Kentucky on Monday night down in San Diego, uh, Richard Washington and myself were having breakfast in the restaurant before we bust back up to Los Angeles. And coach came and sat down with us. And so I was kind of joking with him. Yeah, coach, I thought you was going to be here for four years, man. You know, I know. He said, well, you know, Marcus, Richard, I didn't promise you guys. I'd be here for four years because I knew I, I didn't know I couldn't make that promise to you. And I told you, I didn't know how long, how much longer I was going to coach, but uh, you know, I do, I do the best I could just to be here as long as you were here. But he said, the one thing that got me was that uh, last year with Bill Walton's team, uh, we know uh, we lost in the semifinals in North Carolina state. So I, I saw this fan um, uh, after we won the championship yesterday and he came up to me and said, Johnny, last year, you guys blew it, but this year we did it. <laughs> 
we did it. You know, it's like you guys and we, and coach just like said, Hey, you know, I just, you know, felt like it was time. And, and coach wouldn't always said that to the coaches in America that he really likes, he would, he would wish upon them to win a national championship to the coaches that he didn't like. He'd wish upon them to win more than one because then the pressure really starts to mount and, and magnifies. And now they expect you to win every single year. And so that was always kind of his way of looking at things, but uh, that was coach Wooden. That's incredible, man. So take me through, I think the year is 1977. You guys, you guys, you finish your UCLA career and then you get drafted third to the Bucks. Take me through what it's like being a pro in the seventies. I mean, what, what is that like? Hey, and to well, add to that, tell, tell them, tell them about how it was for the two guys that got drafted above you too. Uh, well, first of all, that was 1977. That was around the time that there was, there was just getting out of a quota system in the NBA, still some, some remnants of it. But at that time, if you look at the rosters, especially Midwestern teams like Kansas City and Chicago and Milwaukee and Detroit, uh, I was reading Archie Clark's autobiography called Shake and Bake. If, you're, if, if you ever get a chance to, to check that out, he's a great, great guard to play with the Lakers uh, back in the 60s. But he talked about that quota system where, where you – had you know seven whites and five blacks and then it became six and six so that was kind of the, the environment that uh, I came into the league under and at the time I came in there was this 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 clamor for a white superstar and so uh they tried to to to, to kind of pigeonhole Kent Benson out of Indiana who was a part of that 1976 Indiana undefeated team the last undefeated team uh in college basketball with Bobby Knight Quinn Buckner Scott May um, some, Tom Abernathy, some, some, some great players. And so um, Kent Benson was the guy that they had pigeonholed as, as the number one pick. And not because he was better than me, but because they felt like the league needed a white superstar to appease the white fan base and all that good stuff. And so Quentin Buckner, who was a teammate of Kent's at Indiana, he actually told Don Nelson, uh, my coach, and who, who was responsible for making the decision, like, look, man, Kent is a good player, but he's nowhere near as good as Marcus Johnson. You know, you probably should take Marcus number one. Anyway, so so Kent wound up going number one. The Bucks made a trade. They traded Swin Nader, ironically, who was a UCLA backup center to Bill Walton, traded him. He was with the Bucks, traded him to Buffalo to get the number three pick so they could draft me. Number two the pick went to, was uh, held by Kansas City. And they had a white small forward by the name of Scott Wedman, who was a really good player out of Colorado. And um, my teammate from UCLA the previous year, Richard Washington, had told them, like, look, Scott Wedman's really good, but I'm telling you guys, you know, he's not, I mean, Marcus is going to be like, you know. And so anyway, so they, but, but again, because of that quota deal going on, um, so I got passed up for the number one pick, number two pick, uh, because they had a small forward that they thought would, would be, you know, serviceable or, or serviceable to good. He was a good player, all-star. Uh, maybe a year or two. So anyway, so I wound up number three with the Bucks, And so that was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have any idea what the Midwest was like other than what I had watched on ABC on Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. You know, that's all, that was my, that was my, that was my reference with Milwaukee. And coming from LA, it was, you know, you know, it was a big city. I mean, you know, it was a city. I, I didn't know how small it was, the, the, the small town atmosphere. 
I know Kareem had had some some issues there, but I, I was just happy to 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 go to the to the NBA. And um, I, I remember my first month or so as a rookie, they asked me to do a speaking engagement at a high school about 30 minutes outside of town. I drove, I got lost. It was getting close to dusk, getting, you know, so I pulled into a filling station and this young white kid about, about 19, 20 years old, but he was outside uh, kind of doing some things. And when I pulled in with my car, this black guy in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, he ran into the office and locked the door. And he was like, go away, go away. I was like, man, look, you know, Marcus Johnson, Milwaukee Bucks, I'm lost. I'm calling cops if you don't get out of here, go away. And uh, so, so I, I, that was kind of the extreme in terms of what I dealt with in Milwaukee and racism, a racial component. You know, it was some unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity going on. But 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 uh, that was you know that was the extent of it. But it, it was it was it was an, indeed a culture shock coming from Los Angeles. But at the same time, we were in the process of building something uh, special with that team. Myself and Dave Byers from UCLA, Junior Bridgman I mentioned from Louisville was on that team. Quinn Buckner was on that team. Kent Benson, just a lot of really Lloyd Walton out of Marquette, guys from some really top shelf programs and. Uh, we wound up uh, being a really young, good, exciting basketball team. Don Nelson, a Hall of Fame coach. I think he may still be the winningest coach in history. I think he still has that record. But he was just starting out. That was his first full year. So it was just a, a you know, a kind of a perfect, perfect storm of events. And uh, for me, coming from Los Angeles, it was, uh, you know, it was a time of, uh, of, uh, of change for me. But it helped me to grow up and become a man. And for that, I, I'm appreciative of that opportunity. That's uh, yeah. That's that's funny that you say that because I did the opposite. I grew up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. You know, small, moderate city. You know, moderate anywhere else. You know, kind of bigger one in 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 Wisconsin. And uh, you know, Milwaukee is definitely one of the more <laughs> diverse, diverse, you know, parts right. of the city. You know, and I, I can't even imagine back then. You know, that's before you know my lifetime and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how much worse it would have been. You know, anywhere else. So. Yeah, yeah, I, well, I can... and, and, and let me let me and let me say this about that, John. Let me say this. You know, it was it was it was definitely a rude awakening. Whether my first winter was the worst snow they had had in thirty years, my second winter was the coldest winter they'd had in twenty five years. So my two first winters were so extreme, and people kept telling me it's not normally this bad. I'm like, yeah, what the hell ever? You can keep this. You can keep this crap. <laughs> You know, and I kept I kept my I kept my apartment, you know, about 80, 80 degrees. I wear my shorts and all, you know, just pretend I'm in the sunshine at least. But no, but the but, but the point is is that after I got to know the people back there, uh the, the just kind of developed a, the circle of friends and acquaintances that I've found the eating spots and then you know, the spots to, to hang out or whatever. I mean, Milwaukee actually turned out to be a really, really cool place that I I, I, you know, if, if I admit it to myself now, looking back, I used to like kind of getting away from here and spending the, the six or seven months during the basketball season coming back to L.A. and, you know, going going crazy for the summer. But it, it was actually a really good, good, uh, good change for me, just being a guy that grew up in Los Angeles pretty much all his life. Khalil, you're on, bro. You're muted. Yeah, I'm having some technical difficulties over here. That's that's awesome that you eventually warmed up to the area. I'm a West Coast kid myself. 
I could never imagine anything under like maybe 66 degrees. So yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't go, don't go to Milwaukee. To hey, it's not to great. Work. It's not great guys. <laughs> yeah. So but speaking it, to your playing career, who was your, who was your favorite teammate? Wow, that's a great question. Oh man. Who was my favorite teammate? You know, it would have to be when I started out, I was with uh, a guard out of Marquette by the name of Lloyd Walton, Chicago guy. I went to a private boys school, but he was just a street dude out of Chicago. And, uh, and it ha- had actually gotten to know him a little bit when I, I was a freshman and Marquette was at the final four down in Greensboro, North Carolina. We all kind of hung out. Bill Walton and Maurice Lucas and Lloyd and some other guys from Marquette. Uh, but Lloyd was, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was a city guy and, uh, he was slick, hip and cool, had a little convertible, uh, Mercedes Benz, two seater, you know, and, and so he was my guy, we called him the little guy, but he was, he was, uh, my point guard and, and, and he was a reserve point guard. He didn't start, he backed up Quinn Buckley, but he was the kind of guy when I was on a roll on the court and in that zone where I couldn't miss and things were flowing. He would, he would always just be talking to me on the court. Get some more, man. Get some more. Don't be happy with that. Get you some more. Get some more, man. Come on, get some more. He called me Garvey as in Marcus Garvey. Come on, Garvey. Get some more, Garvey. You know, and he, you know, so he was just kind of my guy that off the court. <laughs> he was the guy that um, my rookie year, we used to uh, park our cars across the street at a McDonald's restaurant after um, at, at, for games and practices. Wayne Embry actually owned this McDonald's uh, restaurant, our general manager. And so that was our parking spot, our parking. You know, that was like, you know, the, 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 the sophistication of the NBA back in the 70s. So after this one game, it's brutally cold outside. It's probably eight below with a 30 below wind chill factor. So I run across the street in my little polyester overcoat that I bought in L.A. And, and my, you know, my, 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 my little thin slacks and, you know, too thin sweater to deal with that kind of cold. And I'm freezing. So I get to my car. And uh, I pull out the key and I try to put the key in the lock to turn the lock and the lock wouldn't turn. And I'm the only one out there. It's about, you know, it's, 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 I went and had treatment or something after the game. So I'm the only one left. So I'm freezing. I locked myself out of the Mecca, the arena that we played in. And so as fate would have it, here comes Lloyd Walton and his little two-seater bins. He got this little Kango hat on, you know, real cool and dapper. He said, what's up, Garvey? You have a problem? I said, man, man, Lloyd, little guy, my, I can't, my, lock, my key won't open my door. I don't know what's going on. I know it's the right key. He said, oh, man, your lock froze. Let me show you. And so he took out a cigarette lighter, lit the key, heated it up really good, and then it, you know, put it in the lock and it opened, opened right up. So next time you know what to do, man, you're cool. I was like, yeah, thanks, man. Thank you. But that was got some survival techniques. A Chicago kid had to pass on to a kid from Los Angeles, a young man from Los Angeles, because I had no idea what the hell was going on. But that, that was Lloyd. That was kind of some of the things that, uh, that we got. In. And, and let me say this about Lloyd Walton. He is one of three NBA players that we are aware of in, in the history of the league to receive his uh, PhD. He just received his PhD a few years back. And uh, I think it's he, him, Shaq, and uh, this uh, player, former player by the name of Dick Barnett, fallback baby that played with the Lakers, played with the Knicks back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. But, but uh, so, so Lloyd has gone from the street kid, wise street kid, wow. dealing with a lot of issues, to now uh, the guy with the PhD. And he is one of the 
mentors uh, for the NBA Players Association that, that goes around uh, to different teams around the league and shares his experience, strength, and hope, and, 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 and gives him career counseling and all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, you know, just a, you know, just, just a great – and the thing about it, guys, is that and, – and, and, and Anna, is that if you would have told us back in the 70s, you know, from some of the things we were into back in those days, there was a lot of stuff going on back in those days, as you can imagine, that um, this is kind of where we would wind up uh, 40 plus years later, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have believed you, but uh, yeah. that, that's how things turned out. And Lord and I still play to play golf together. We get together at least once or twice in the summer. We'll meet in Lake Geneva. You know about that, yeah, Lake Geneva got a nice golf course up there. Yes, we'll, sir. We'll get up there and play, play up, play around, and uh, just kind of hang out. And we talk and text probably 10 times a month. You know, he just invited me to a, I don't know, some kind of new group group thing they're doing social media where you clubhouse is that what it is? Clubhouse. Is a, uh, yeah, yeah, some kind of yeah, some kind of clubhouse thing of political political conversation and sports and all that. So anyway, that's Lloyd Walton. That's that's an incredible story. That's so funny. <laughs> Just eat a lighter. I was gonna actually, I was since you brought up golf, you you be playing golf. I saw your Instagram story a couple of days ago or yesterday or whatever. Your little golf simulator at home. <laughs> no, but that was actually a spot in Milwaukee, downtown Milwaukee, mm-hmm. called Four F O R E Four Milwaukee. Tim Grogan is owned by a guy that I've gotten to know the last four or five. You know, you got to find that indoor spot back there in the dead of winter. That's right. And so uh, he's got that uh, the simulated deal going on. And uh, it's funny because I was using my eight iron and I usually hit my eight iron about 140, 145 yards. But I got a real nice swing on this one one stroke and uh, hit it like 152. And I thought I was looking good. And then I saw the video and I looked just like maybe a little bit, maybe a step up from Charles Barkley playing golf. So it was kind of nasty. It was nasty. It was nasty to look at, but you know, Hey, it got, it got the job done. I was like, man, I thought it looked better than that. Come on, man. I saw some of the comments. Yeah. I saw some of the comments. Yeah. 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 I even commented on it, but I, no roast though. Hey, if you ever, Hey, we're here local in LA. If you ever want to play around, come on now. Where you you do it. You yes, get out sir. there. Okay. Let's okay. Go. All right. Let's go out and play. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, it's just, I, and I play with a regular group in the summer. One of the guys, a guy by the name of Bob Webb, who was a part of the, that Walton uh, Wilkes Championship uh, team in the early seventies, and uh, and he's Bob. Bob's probably seventy, seventy-one. I'm sixty-five, but we get together you know, probably, you know, once, twice uh, a week in the summertime and get out there and tear it up, man. So we have a good time. Where you guys be playing? Cause I can't get a tee time anywhere in LA nowadays. It's ridiculous. Hey, well, you know me. I got a hookup, John. You know, I got a rancho. I got a rancho hookup over there off of Pico, you know. <laughs> yeah, I man. live I right got, over there. <laughs> that- I got the Rancho Foursome hookup, you know, once a week. They'll, they'll, you know, I got a hookup that can get me in around 8, 8.30 in the morning which is a perfect time for me, you know, because so you, you're done over there by, by noon. But there, and then we play Encino Balboa. I just play these nice little public courses. I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't get into like trying to, I don't try and, I don't need to challenge myself. I just want to go out and have a good, Woodley, Woodley is my favorite course. Yeah, Woodley Lake, of course. Yeah, because I could break 90 out there with all the, yeah. all the ducks and all the, all the duck turds. You got to get, get, got to kind of dodge, yeah. but. I'm just out there just trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to score, man. I'm not trying to like challenge and lose balls and all that. That's right. frustrating. I'm too old for that. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, that's right down there. I'll see you out there one of these days. All right. I'll yeah. See you. Yeah. For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, hey, is it true? So 
actually one of my buddies out here in LA, you know, we, we get the local, uh, uh, you know, the nationally televised games. You know, I, I used to get the, the Fox sports Wisconsin package, you know, when I relocated out West coast, you know, we don't got that. So I don't hear you and Jim, you know, as often anymore, but, um, is it true? My, my boy, Jeremy, you know, he's back in Wisconsin right now. You know, one of my good friends I went to school with. And uh, is it true? He heard the other day on the broadcast that you said that you coined the term point forward. And I think I heard that in another interview with you, you know, uh, some time back. Is, is there any truth to that? It's all true, man. I wouldn't make that up, man. Look, so we're playing the New Jersey Nets, uh, Brooklyn Nets now, but New Jersey Nets. And uh, with the Bucks, this is probably 1984. And Michael Ray Richardson, one of the best defensive guards in the league, is killing our guards. Mike Dunleavy, senior. Uh, we got a couple of point guards hurt. And so, but the pressure just killing us. So Don Nelson, uh, the series was tied one-to-one. It was during the playoffs in April. Series is tied one-to-one. We're back in New Jersey at the shoot-around that morning before we played the Nets that night. So Don Nelson says, look, the, the pressure's killing us. Here's what we're going to do. So Marcus, I want you to initiate the offense, bring the ball up the court. You, you know, Buck Williams is guarding you. Albert King is guarding you. So they're not pressuring you. You can, you could get by them, uh, bring the ball up the court. And if you're going to run the high post offense, just dribble to the wing. If you're going to run this play, just dribble over here. So, so you're going to run the offense from the forward position. So I said, Oh, so Nelly. So instead of a point guard, I'm like a point forward. He's like point forward. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You're my point forward. Yeah. Yeah. I like that point forward. And so that's when that was the first time that that term was actually uttered. Now I got traded after that season and uh, Paul Pressey, who was, uh, who was actually our backup point guard, but they put him in that position of initiating the offense and they, 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 they kind of dubbed him as the point forward. And he got known as being the guy that was really the real first point forward. Now I like to say this, I, I, I can't coin the term just kind of, uh, you know, backhanded, offhand comment to Don Nelson. Instead of point guard, I'm a point forward. Just seemed to make sense. But but there were other guys, Rick Barry, Maurice Stokes. You can look at some Google Google some video. Maurice Stokes. He's 6'8", 240, pushing the ball up, dishing. Rick Barry, uh, Robert Reed with the Houston Rockets, Johnny Johnson with the uh, Seattle Sonics that I played against in earlier. A lot of guys that did a much better job than I did. Uh, but in terms of just coining the term, that's all I take credit for. I don't, I'm not LeBron. I wasn't getting 10 assists a game. You know what I mean? But, uh, but I did coin the term. It was the first guy to utter that phrase point forward. Now you got guys like LeBron and, and Ben Simmons and uh, Giannis. Well, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's positionless basketball. So now it's, it's, it's commonplace. Uh, Kevin, you know, Kevin Durant, you just going down the list of these uh, sublimely gifted six, nine, six, 10 ball handling, shooting, except for Ben Simmons, but, but the rest of them can just, and, Gian, and, and well, Giannis, I mean, Giannis is getting better with the mid range though. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Just how, how good these guys have evolved uh, to in today's game. Who, who of today's crop of guys reminds you the most of you when you were playing? Oh man. Um, that's, that's tough. You know, I'd have to probably go back a bit. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Of, of the, the current guys, but but I know Paul Pierce was a guy that I saw a lot of myself in. I know uh, Dwayne Wade was a little smaller at 6'4 uh, than I was at 6'6, six, six, but and, and it was just that forward who was fundamentally sound with with sprinkled in with some decent athleticism uh, and, and, and above average athleticism. Don't let me sell myself short. So, so I mean, so those kinds of guys, uh, 
Kawhi Leonard is a guy that I like in terms of how he has evolved offensively. He came into the league as a defensive guy, but he's put in so much work on his offensive skills. It's a funny story. He was playing against my son, uh, Mariah Johnson, who was on the Baldwin Hill show in BET a few years back. But he was playing against Mariah um, in a, um, a AAU summer tournament for the, for the Pump Brothers. And so I never heard of this guy, Kawhi Leonard, but he was out there killing. He was the best player on the floor. So after the game, and he remembers this, I went up to him. I was like, hey, man, look, is, is UCLA recruiting you? And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm going to San Diego State. UCLA, I, you know, they, 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 they've shown me no interest. So I called up Donnie Daniels, who's a friend of mine who was the uh, recruiting guy at UCLA at the time, with Jim Herrick. I was like, Donnie, man, you're not, excuse me, Ben Howland. Uh, I was like, I said, Donnie, you're not recruiting Kawhi Leonard? He's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, he's, he's good, Mark, but we just don't know. I said, man, look, this dude is out here just he better he's better than Tyler Honeycutt. He's better than all these guys that that are ranked over him. But anyway, so that was my, my Kawhi Leonard story. But he's a guy that I just I just love because he plays at both ends of the floor and uh, and does a little bit of everything. Man, I didn't know that about about uh, about you know you you, you kind of contacting UCLA to try to get him over to UCLA. That's crazy! Wow, I do it I do it all the time. I did, I did it with Bruce Bowen who. Played yep. for um, Fresno Edison. I saw him play against Crenshaw. He gave Crenshaw like 43 points. I call up Jim Herrick. I was like, Coach, I just saw this kid from Fresno. Bruce Bourne is like, Yeah, Marcus, he can't shoot a lick. He won't be. He won't be that good. He won't. He won't be a good college player. He's a good high school player. And the coach said he just gave Crenshaw 43. I don't know, you know. And, uh, and 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 he, yeah, and I went up to Bruce after that game, and just I always like to introduce myself to these guys when I when when they when they make uh, when they make an impression on me, I go up to them like, man, you you know, keep working, brother. You you got you got a future ahead of you. And and Bruce remembers that to this day. It's like, yeah, I remember when you told me that after the Crenshaw game. So it's all good. Wow. Well, we're 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 still going here. Uh, we can we just get to a few more before uh, before we head out? Sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, let's do uh, it. Speaking of that, I just want to segue. So, I mean, obviously you're a fantastic player. I think you're a way, I mean, you threw it down crazy, like crazier than, than, than the claw, you know what I mean? But so kind of talking about that, you know, with how the game has changed and evolved so much today, you know, and, and just these past, you know, a couple decades, do you feel like, like you would be better in today's NBA or, or do you feel like you would struggle more in, in today's NBA? Well, here's the deal. So if you look at my, stats you'll see that on the face of it i was deplorable from the three-point line at probably 17 percent something like that but most of those were, were were heaves at the end of quarters desperation type situations my point is this guys is that we didn't work on the three-point shot didn't make sense to us in terms of how we looked at the game back in those days the closer you get the more efficient the shot was in our minds Three-pointer came along around 1979 and uh, <clears throat> in the NBA. ABA had had it for, for a number of years, but, but then we didn't really know how to, how to utilize it uh, effectively in the NBA when it first came along. And so the mid-range game, you hear a lot about that from guys in my era, myself and Alex English and Bernard King. I mean, we probably shot 55 to 60% on mid-range jumpers that were open or, or, or lightly guarded or whatever, uh, not tightly guarded. And, and so my point is this, is that all those guys I just mentioned were not three-point shooters, but 
if we played today, we would work on that every we, you know, our, our thing was just we were workaholics. We'd go out and just play all day. I mean, I'd work from from eight in the morning. Me and my workout guy, Malik Abdul Mansoor, he went to UCLA also. Uh, he played briefly with the Milwaukee Bucks. He worked out with Kareem all the time and and and, and helping Kareem to, to get his skyhook uh, perfected. And so we work out starting off at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. We 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 do our thing at the UCLA Track Drake Stadium. You know, we 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 go from there into the Wooden Center or the uh, men's gym and work two hours on skill work and ball handling. Me and Kiki Bandaway and David Greenwood and and Reggie Theus and all these LA guys. Uh, and then we we take a break, get something to eat, come back and play in the afternoon for two hours. I had I had an assistant coach, Craig Gumpelman, back in those days. I did that workout right. So he saw me in the morning on the track. <clears throat> he saw me later in the gym at 10 a.m. He saw me playing um, uh, with the uh, with the pros uh, around three o'clock in the afternoon. This coach, Craig Gumpelman, he came back after work. He was an assistant coach. He was walking through Paula Pavilion at five. And I was shooting jumpers by myself. He's like, damn, this guy is really, really, really into it. Later that night, this is a true story. It was nine o'clock at night and it was a park uh, close to my apartment, Mar Vista Park off of Sartell. Uh, so he, so Craig Emelman, that coach that had seen me all day, he just happened to be walking through that park or something. And he saw this shadowy figure shooting jumpers like at nine o'clock at night. He's like, wait a minute, that can't be Marcus. And he walked over and I was like shooting jumpers, like, you know, just on my own by myself. Like, so I'm just saying we had this work ethic back in those days. That was crazy. We would have worked on a three point shot, for, you know, and I would have been a 37, 38%, maybe 40 in good years. but would have gotten that shot down to where I was comfortable shooting it. So my point is to answer your question. I feel like anybody that would have thrived as a scorer back in the seventies and eighties would thrive as a scorer today because teams take away the three-point line, they take away the rim, and they want you to shoot that mid-range jumper. So you look at Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, uh, you look at you look at these great scorers in the league, Kyrie Irving, they've got this ability to not only hit the three-pointer and, and finish at the rim, but they're really good, you know, 12 to 18 feet, that mid-range, that mid-range jump shot. That is... I couldn't agree more. And looking over your stats, a lot of like college scouting people who do draft analysis and stuff like that, they say that free throw shooting is actually the best indicator that we have for three point success. And you sported a pretty good free throw percentage in your playing day. So, nah, I well, I mean, thank you, Khalil. But, but that's not, I mean, I, I should have been better. If that's the one area when I look back on that, um, I really regret that I, I didn't put, I don't know if I, I'm just, you know, I, I should have taken the free throws. My thing is like, Hey, if I'm gonna go out and get you 20 points a game and seven or eight rebounds as a small forward, which are, which are really good numbers for a small forward. My, my rookie year averaged almost 20 and 10 average, almost 20 points, average over 10 rebounds a game. And so my thing was like, look, I'm expending so much energy, like rebounding and blocking shots and, and all this other stuff. That uh, you know, who, you know, something's gonna, something's gonna, something's gonna be affected by it. And for me, it was more the free throws than anything else. And I'm like a 74 percent shooter career, 73, 74, which is you know, I, I should have been closer to 80, should have been over 80. And uh, that's the one thing that I wish I would have worked on more. It probably would have added another point or two to my scoring average. But I wound up averaging 20 and seven for my career. And here's the other thing. Let me point this out before we go. My second year in the league, 
after average 19 and a half and 10 rebounds as a rookie runner up to Walter Davis's rookie of the year. We played the, the Suns that he played for in the first round of the playoffs. We swept him. I dominated him, blah, blah, blah. My second year, I averaged almost 26 points a game, was first team all pro. Going into my third year, my coach, Don Nelson, brought me into his office. He's like, MJ, getting ready to start the season. What do you think you can average? I'm like, coach, I can average 30 a game. That's my plan. That's what I worked out for. He's like, yeah, I know you could. But look, this is what I want you to do. We got a lot of good scores this year. Brian Winters, Junior Bridgman is coming into his own. I want you to average 20. Give me about seven rebounds, play good defense, and, uh, and, and, and get more assists. I'm like, a coach, <laughs> 30, first team all pro. I can do it. He's like, yeah, I know, I know you can. I know you can. But I'm asking you to do this for me, make this sacrifice. I think it'll be best for the team. And so you look at my numbers from my third year on, it's always around 20, 21 a game. But that's because Don Nelson specifically asked me to cut back, to cut back on my scoring. I look back on that now. I mentioned that because I look back on it now. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not nominated for the Hall of Fame. You know, may get in, may not get in, who knows. But but I look back on it now, and if I would have been allowed to let my 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 true self as a basketball player, which I told you I got 30, I dropped 35 in a in a, in a 30 minute uh the seventh grade game at Alabama. My thing was efficient scoring. That's what my dad, Jeff, drilled into me, taught me, and uh I always felt like just not being able to express that fully after my second year was something that I look back on and kind of regret a little bit if I if I'm if I'm truly honest. Wow. And that must have been tough too since it came from, you know, one of the one of the better coaches, you know, Don Nelson, a, a pretty big figure in the in the game. Yeah. Well well Khalil, well, it, it was, but let me just say this. I mean, but at the same time, my dad was a great high school coach in 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 uh, small town Natchitoches, Louisiana, Northwestern University, State University is there. Uh, but he, he, he was a guy that really gave me the fundamental uh, uh, fundamental uh, background. Uh, played for Willie West at Crenshaw High School, one of the greatest high school coaches of all time. Played for John Wooden at UCLA, greatest college coach of all time. Played for Don Nelson. And so my thing is, my thing is this, I trusted coaches. And so when a coach asked me to do something, even though I kind of balked inside and I knew that, that it was putting limitations on what I could really do, at the same time, I just felt like if he says that it's best for the team, he's the coach, he knows what's best, I'll roll with it. Now, looking back, you know, hindsight being 2020, you know, Rick Berry led the Golden State Warriors to an NBA championship in 1975 when uh, Jamal Wilkes was a rookie. He averaged 30 a game. So it can't, you know, it can be done. John Havlicek with those great Celtic teams, you look at his numbers, 28, 29. Larry Bird, he was up there 28, 29 points a game. So, you know, it, it may have made the difference from us winning and not winning a championship if he, if, if he would have allowed me to, you know, really be the the, the true scoring wow. phenomenon that I could have been in the league. So you just never know. That's my point. Really? You never know. Wow, man. Yep. That's wild. So I have to ask. I have to ask. Why broadcasting? Because you're, you're reading as, if not – a coach level basketball mind here at the very least a scout. So why did you choose to, why did you choose to come back into the game as a broadcaster or as an I announcer? Wonder the same thing. I wonder the same thing, MJ. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I grew up in Los Angeles, man, in the sixties, Ben Scully with the Dodgers, Chick Hearn with the Lakers, 
Dick Inberg, Al Michaels doing UCLA games. These are the people that I'm listening to on a regular basis. And so when I'm eight, nine, 10 years old, I'm in the, in the hallway <clears throat> of our South Central home, bungalow style home on, on, on 88th and Gramercy. But, but, I, but I, I, I fastened a basket with some scotch tape and cut up some cardboard to make a little rim. Um, you know, about the size of your of, of your fingers circled together. I take a, a a piece of a plastic grape that my mother had in the in the did as my ball, and I play this game of hand basketball. We didn't have the, you know, the, 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 the I was going to say Nintendo, but whatever the, the the Playstations and all the stuff. We didn't have that, so you had to be you had to be imaginative. So I'd sit there, guys, for hours on hours upon hours, being Chick Hearn just commentating on me playing against myself with my fingers. John Havlicek brings up the right side, 50 put a no good rebound out girl. Agro outlet pass to Chen Walker, Chen Walker, God, you know, and I'm sitting there with the sound effects and everything, you know, my, all, all that. I'm just, I, but I do it for hours. My sister's telling me today they thought I was crazy. I, so, so I've always had this, 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 this innate kind of uh, a fascination, you know, with the broadcast. So when I got to UCLA, um, I was a political science major my first year and a half. <clears throat> the middle of my sophomore year, this great professor, Dr. Arthur Friedman, was starting a broadcasting course. He came to the athletic department and asked if there were, there were any basketball, football players who'd be interested. So myself, John Shara, Mark Harmon, Rick Walker, great, uh, he's got a great, great, Doc Walker got a great radio show back in the D.C. area for years, won a Super Bowl with the, uh, he's one of the hogs with John Riggins back in those days, Doug Williams. Um, but but anyway, so we all took this broadcasting class and I fell in love with it. And, it, and so we, now we're learning how to broadcast, but on a professional level. We got assignments. We got to cover UCLA football games, sideline reporting. We got to take a tape record. You know, we got to do all this great stuff. And so, so uh, Dr. Friedman winds up um, fashioning a special major, independent studies major for me in the theater arts department, specializing in television production and broadcasting. And so I was able to use some of the other courses that I'd taken as a political science major to apply as credits. So my senior year, how cool is this? <clears throat> a professor by the name of Frank Lauderette, his TV class. I had my own closed circuit campus TV show at UCLA, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for, for an hour. The, uh, the other students in the class would, would be the producers and come up with the guests and, 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 and the questions and all that. But I was responsible for the research and interviewing. And so anyway, so, so it, it just kind of was a perfect perfect storm of events and uh, it worked out and you, at, 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 uh, in Milwaukee, I was able to do some stuff with the local NBC affiliate, uh, took a camera crew on the road. When we played Dr. J, interviewed him, interviewed Red Arbeck, um, you know, so, you know, I was just uh, just into it and and prepared myself to segue after I played into that career. That's uh, that's a great answer. That's that, see, that's the kind of stuff we're trying to. Well, me, I'm trying to get into, you know, here, especially at UCLA too. So, uh, let me just yep. ask you one one more question, and then I want to ask you a couple of bucks bucks current related questions. But you 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 just mentioned about the Hall of Fame. You know, you know, maybe, you know, if if uh, Coach Don Nelson back then would have let you kind of, you know, maximize your scoring potential and stuff like that, maybe it wouldn't be such a you know fifty fifty thing. So you're one of the most decorated basketball players who isn't yet in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, does this, does this, does this bother you or are you confident that, you know, someday soon, you know, your day will come? Uh, you know, I can't say I'm confident. I, I'm hopeful. Let me put it that way. I'm hopeful that someday. And, and from some of the guys that I've talked to, I mean, I see some guys who were contemporaries that 
I know I was just as good a, good as, if not better. I'd see some other guys that played after me that um, that got in, that, that that should have gotten in, but I feel like my my numbers as a five-time All-Star, 20.7 rebounds, and playing for a, you know, a great Milwaukee team. One of the things that people have to understand is that with the Bucks back in those days, one year we won 60 games. We were 60 and 22 and had the third best record in the Eastern Conference. The Sixers with Moses Malone won 62. Dr. J, Moses Malone, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones. The Celtics with Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson. They won 62. So, so all those teams had, you know, three, four, five Hall of Famers on their roster. Uh, we had myself, Bob Lanier, who's a Hall of Famer, and then Sidney Moncrief, who was just uh, inducted last year. So, um, you know, I'd love to get in. I'm not going to lie. Who wouldn't? But at the same time, um, my life isn't dependent upon it. I, the fact that I'm back in Milwaukee uh, with the opportunity to be with this organization and reach out to some of the uh, youth organizations in the city, be a mentor with the Running Rebels organization that uh, was responsible for developing Kevon Looney, a former UCLA player, and some some other great, great, you know, I'm doing things back there, man. I'm doing things that make me feel good about myself as a person. And I didn't take that time. I was the I was the L.A. wannabe actor, sportscaster party guy, that, you know, just, you know what I mean? So so now I get a chance to come back at this stage of my life and and do something that's really meaningful. So, yeah, the Hall of Fame would be a great, great exclamation point on my life, not just career. But at the same time, if it doesn't happen, I'll be disappointed. But, um, you know, I, 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 it, it won't it won't ruin me and wreck me and, and I won't take it to the grave being this bitter, angry, upset person. God has blessed me so much with what uh, has happened to me at this stage, especially these last five or six years working for the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, you, you're very well respected and loved in, you know, in, in Milwaukee and just within the Bucks community and stuff like that. And I mean, it's as a Bucks fan, you know, a diehard Bucks fan where we haven't had much, you know, to look forward to or nothing to be happy about, you know, for so dang long, you know, my whole life, basically up until just, you know, two, three, four years ago, you know, we're, it's, it's good to have guys like you and Jim and, and Gus Johnson, yeah. you know, who was just with, uh, you know, right. guys, you know, Steve Novak, you know, guys like that, you know, aside well, from well, 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 quickly, 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 John. When the Bucks approached me about doing the broadcast, I was working for the CBS radio affiliate uh, here in Los Angeles, doing a doing a uh, a morning sports talk show with Jeannie Zelasco. Uh, and uh, so I was getting up. We went on the air at five thirty. I think Dan Patrick came on at six, so they wanted to beat him on the air by half an hour, thinking that that might that might help our ratings. Didn't happen. But anyway, so I'm getting up, man, every day at three a.m., three thirty. Get into the studio by 4 30, 4 o'clock, get ready for the 5 30 opening of our show. And it was the beast, the beast was the name of the radio station. And so, anyways, so I did that for a whole year. And, and, and so I had, had to talk about baseball and hockey and, and, and NASCAR and, and horse racing and golf, which I love, but but I had to be had to be you know somewhat literate in all these different sports and, and disciplines and all that. So when the Bucks came along and asked me to come back and walk in to 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 Think about being the color commentator, commentator for the Bucks. I'm like, man, I'm not going back to Milwaukee. It's too cold in the winter. I ain't been there, you know, for 30 years on a regular basis. So, so they were like, man, just come back, check it out, and do and sit down with Jim Paschke. You guys do a game just to see how you guys yeah, see see the chemistry that you have. So anyway, so long story short, I fly back to Milwaukee. 
on a on a Friday after I do my uh, morning radio show. And so I'm staying at the uh, Hyatt Hotel downtown. I get in, I, I take a red eye, take a red eye on a Thursday night, take a red eye on a Thursday night. So I go to um, get to the Hyatt Hotel. It's eight o'clock in the morning. I run across the street to George Webb's to get some breakfast. And the cook behind the counter, I swear to you, John, he's like, Marcus Johnson, baby, I ain't seen you in 30 years, man. Get, get my parents, with you. They're, they're your biggest fans. <clears throat> Can I call my mom and dad and, and, and have them come down and get an autograph? So like, yeah, yeah, sure. Mom and dad came down, took some pictures, signed an autograph. I went to the Bradley Center to do this audition tape with Jim Paschke. Uh, this is uh, in, in the summer, like July or something. And so it's no basketball being played, but they got a bunch of people sweeping up and, and workmen in, 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 in the Bradley Center. So I walk in and these workers, these old dude workers are like, Marcus Johnson, baby, you ain't seen you in 30 years, man. Are you, are you coming home? Are you coming home? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But I'm just saying that the love that I got in that city. <laughs> now, I, I kid I kid with my wife all the time that maybe the Bucks set that up. You know, maybe they planted these people just to, to pump me up. <laughs> you, know <it>. <laughs> you know, maybe you know it. I look back on it, it's like, wow. But but I, you know, but 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 I I don't think they did. I, I think it was genuine. And I get that all the time, you know. I get it all the time. Just I'm I'm that connection the generational connection to the eighties, you know, for a lot of the older people, a lot of the younger people, their parents have told them about those teams in the eighties. And, and, you know, you know, Midwest people, Milwaukee people, um, you know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has kind of got us gotten a spoil with how good he's played in terms of uh, getting green Bay to the uh, advancing into the playoffs. But for the most part, if you just put forth an honest effort, play as hard as you can, people respect that. And uh, those are the things, those are the kinds of memories that people back in Wisconsin, I think, appreciate. Couldn't agree more. Let's, let's segue to the Bucks real quick and then, and then we'll, we'll take a wrap. But um, how, I just want to know, how are you currently feeling about, you know, Coach Bud? Uh, I don't think, you know, personally, I just don't think he's the one, you know, to get it done. And a lot of Bucks Nation is already, you know, calling for his firing, you know, already this year, <laughs> like that. But I, I just want to know. I just want to know what your thoughts on him, what you can't, you know, what you can and can't say. I get it. But I just want to no, know no, what well, your thoughts. And and do you think that he he's the one that he could win a finals, you know, with this Bucks team? Or or is he on a hot seat? Is he on a really hot seat? Well, no, it's a combination of the two of them. Now, he's definitely on, uh, you know, he's got to get it done sooner than later based on what's happened. Now, now, now the first year, you know, we had the, this incredible record. I think we were like, I don't know, 48 and 12 at one point, something crazy. Last year, we were 21 and three after, after 24 games. But the, but the first year, two years ago, now that was the year, it went up to love on Toronto, went up to Toronto, and then Kawhi and Cruz, Serge, Ibaka, and Gasol won four in a row. I thought he, I thought he, I thought he could have made some, some adjustments. Uh, you played Sterling Brown, played DJ Wilson more, whatever, just do something different. And we didn't, and we lost. Okay, that was disappointing. Last year, I thought the bubble dynamics messed us up. And the fact that, because last year we were, we were a different team. He started posting up Brooke Lopez more, started doing different things to, to generate points other than the straight five out. But, but the bubble dynamic, and I said it all, all during the summer last year when they resumed the season, that the bubble wasn't for everybody. You said Jimmy Butler... They asked him, was he going to bring his family to the bubble when the families were allowed? He's like, no, this is a business trip. I ain't, this ain't about the family. This is about business. That's when I knew we were in trouble when we met Miami. Because it's a different type of focus. And so, and then when the Bucks boycotted the Orlando game, game five, right? All the t- 
I got interviewed by radio stations in England about that boycott. So I'm saying all this, the magnitude of the intensity of the attention on this team was more than these guys. And you know, it was Milwaukee. We're not LA. We're not New York. It's more. That's, that was more than these guys could 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 really deal with. And uh, and then Miami started playing great. So so my point is this: I like Coach Bud. Love Coach Bud. Love his staff. Hired two of my favorites in, in Mike Dunlap um, and uh, Josh Oppenheimer, who was a, a UCLA gym rat when I was here uh, back in the '80s. He was just a young boy. With he's like, you remember me, man? Uh, you know, I looked at his green eyes. And I was like, Josh? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we got this great staff. And if you look at what we're doing now, we, we're doing different things. We picked up Drew Holiday. See, yes, see, so check, that out, check it out, John. Check it yes, out, John. And see, Drew Holiday is one of the best two-way guards. That's the key. We struggled. We lost five in a row. Drew wasn't playing. He was in the COVID protocol. So, so my point is, is that Coach Bud, I think, has evolved. He's doing some different things now. And um, it's starting to come together. Now, let's see what happens this week. We got the Pelicans tomorrow. We got the Clippers. You know, we got Denver. You know, we got these, you know, we got some, some tough games coming up. We'll get a really good idea of where this team stands after the next week or two. Uh, but I, I'm not, I don't mind us struggling at this point. I'd rather struggle now and excel later than have the great regular season and peter out of the playoffs. Agreed. Are you worried about the team's age? That's that's the only thing when I look at that team, because, you know, you got Giannis, who's like in his prime, 26, 27, but then everybody else, like Brooke Lopez is such a massive part of their defensive scheme, and he's in his mid-30s now. Not this year. You think, you think the team has a shelf life because of well, the age, some of their some of their core guys? But but who else is there? I mean, so so Drew is thirty, but Drew's an old thirty. I mean, he's been around twelve years. He left after his first year at UCLA, but still prime years. Chris Middleton is 27, 28. Um, Dante DiVincenzo is a young youngster. I mean, I think it's a nice blend. I, you know, I worry more, Khalil, that that you know, in terms of maybe bringing in another big body. Um, you know, we had Robin Lopez last year. We had Ursan Ilyasova. Those are big bodies, smart players, defensive-minded players. I mean, if you look at our defense right now, I mean, our defense last year was number one in the league. Uh, this year, I think we're 14 or 15 or something. So offensively, we've kind of made this switch over from a defensive-oriented team into a team that now is firing on all cylinders offensively but I think defensively if we can if we can find our our footing defensively and, and, and we're on the we're on the verge of doing that you just got to wait till Drew Holiday comes back and gets back into into some, into some good shape and and see where it, where it proceeds from there but I don't think age is you know Brooke your point is well taken that, that, that Brooke, it's the way the game is played now Brooke is a great rim protector and if you decide to switch Brooke becomes challenged to stay in front of like everybody else does, the Devin Bookers and Chris Paul gave him a hard time down in Phoenix. But, um, you know, you got the versatility to play Giannis at that five spot. And you got some other bigs on the bench that haven't played a lot that I think uh, may see some action before the season is over. That could really help us. So I'm not overly concerned about, about age right now, no. This is my last one for sure. But speaking of that and bringing up Brooke, 
I mean, he, he just ain't it this year. You know what I mean? Do you, do you see the Bucks uh, <laughs> making making any moves, you know, this upcoming trade deadline? Hey, I saw your dunk the other day. That went viral. Hey, I think – I don't know. Are you are you ready to are you ready to take over Brooks yeah. Brooks spot or what? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a t- I'll take a ten day contract. I'm, I'm you know I'm 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 good, man. As long as long you know I I tell people I can get from point A to B as quick as I always could, but once I get to point B, I can't stop anymore. I just keep going point B, point C, point D, point E, uh, just like an old man just kind of off balance and just keep keep rumbling. But no, I I, I could I, you know we got a great general manager John Horse who. who Look, you know, he brought in Brian Forbes. He brought in Drew Holiday. He brought in, you know, all these these pieces, all these shooters that he's Corey hoping. Craig. Uh, Torrey Craig, who's a great defensive player. So, you know, I, I think that he'll evaluate, kind of see where we are, see what's out there. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, people, DeMarcus Cousins gets waved. Let's get DeMarcus. Well, is he, I'm looking at a video of DeMarcus Cousins right now. And, and I know being in, in, in prime condition, he's not. But you just don't know if that's that's the answer. You don't you don't need to overreact at this point. I think you wait and see what what Drew kind of brings to the table, and then uh, make the adjustments, make the moves based on that. So, uh, but uh, but we got a we got a great uh, we got a great general manager who I think will, will do what it takes to because every, everybody's under the gun right now. Everybody's feeling everybody's on the hot seat right now. This is the year. You, Giannis just re up for another five years, man. You know, so we got to maximize his prime years right now. And I think everybody understands that and we'll do whatever it takes to do it. All right. So I, I just got one more question for you. Uh, who do you think Bucks haven't been to the final since 1974 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Who do you mm-hmm. think in the Eastern conference right now is you guys' biggest challenger keeping you from making <laughs> it back to the finals for the first time well, since 1974. Well, you know the answer to that, man. Who do you think I think? I mean, I feel like you're going to say Brooklyn. My, my opinion yeah. personally is Philly, but... Philly, that's yeah. That's, I mean, those two. But but Brooklyn only because and I, and I know defensively, interior, DeAndre Jordan is not what he used to be, but he's still still okay jared allen i love if they could have kept him they'd really been a thorn in our sides but when you've got Harden and you've got durant you've got Kyrie, if the three of them are healthy come playoff time it's just hard to stop three guys that can drop 30 on you at the drop of a hat an easily an easy 30 you know what i'm saying it's one thing to have a drew holiday or chris middleton that can give you an easy 20 but those three can give you an easy 30 and that becomes a real challenge now that being said Philadelphia Embiid is having an MVP caliber year. Doc Rivers is the perfect, the perfect kind of compliment for him. Uh, Simmons is doing it. Um, um, uh, 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 Tobias Harris, you know, borderline All Star. Uh, his dad, Terrell Harris, was uh, Mike Taylor back in the day, back in the eighties. He was making soup for everybody. But but uh, so Philly, I, I agree, is <laughs> a team that. Uh, could be there at the end, remains to be seen. They were almost there with two years ago with Kawhi Leonard's, you know, jump corner jumper hadn't, you know, rolled in off the rim at the buzzer. They could have been there. So, uh, but but Brooklyn, it's just a question of, is it going to happen for them this year if Steve Nash is going to be a hindrance as a, as a first-year head coach in terms of making some, some adjustments? But, man, when you got talent like that, it, 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 it's hard to beat. We'll see how it plays out. Let's get it. Yes, Go Bucks, Bucks and Six. Do it, hey, do it on the court. 
If you ever see, if you ever see black, uh, black California plates that says Bucks and Six, say hi. That's me. Pull me over. Okay. All right, man. <laughs> hey, Marcus. Thank All you right. so much. We went way over time. I'm so sorry for keeping you so long, but thank you so much for hanging out. Um, we will, uh, we'll, we'll contact you later. We'll, we'll get this up in the next uh, week. And uh, okay. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Have a, have a great no one. Problem. Go. It was great. I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you guys. Appreciate Thanks you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Take care.